predicting what is going to happen next. And we're pretty good at doing that because as kids, we, we learn these sort of patterns. Like, right, like if I drop this paper, what's going to happen? It's going to fall, right? Right, we learn that pattern. Uh, if you're hungry, what's the pattern? You should eat, right? Come on, man. If you're hungry, you should eat. If uh, somebody is angry, right, you have to be careful about what you say to them, what you do around them, right? And so it becomes like these more and more complex uh, different patterns that we notice. And so we make these predictions all the time about the things that are going to happen next. So when we have a prediction that we make and it's inaccurate, it throws us off, right? It makes us confused. It surprises us. It just messes with us because we're so used to making these accurate predictions. So when I was growing up, right, uh, I can remember specifically the, the year that the Nintendo GameCube was going to come out, right? Now, some of you are looking at me and you're like, okay, Grandpa, thanks for sharing with us today, right? But the Nintendo GameCube, it was going to be awesome. I was super excited about it, and I was going to get it for Christmas, and I was certain that my parents bought it for me. So I started sharing with all my friends. I was certain that it was in their closet. I knew that they had a game system for me. Christmas comes around. I open up all my gifts. No GameCube. So I'm so disappointed. And then my parents bring out, like, they're like, oh, we got a special gift for you, Johnny. We're so excited to give it to you. And they give me this special gift, and I open it up, and it is literally an NES, right? Like the oldest Nintendo system that exists. And I am so bummed out about it because I'm like, mom, dad, like, are you serious? You got me, like, the stupidest game console ever. Why would you do that? And I wasn't thankful at all. But what I decided was that I was going to spend the entire next year working all sorts of odd jobs to try and save up money so I could buy myself a GameCube. And so I did all sorts of weird stuff. I remember like painting my parents' house. I remember like helping with like different chores around the house. I, even one time, I watched my neighbor's cat while they were on vacation. Now, super weird, but my neighbor, they instructed me that like to watch their cat, there was normal stuff like feeding the cat or like giving it water, but rather than like letting the cat go to the bathroom in a litter box, they literally let their cat outside and like let it go to the bathroom out there. Does anybody have a cat like this? Okay, you're weird. weird. It's not normal. Everybody gets a litter box. All right, so we didn't have a litter box for this cat. And so every day I was to go over to my neighbor's house and I was supposed to let the cat out, get it some food and water, and then it would come back. I'd let it back inside. All good. I'm done, right? Simple enough. So I do this all week long. And then the very last day, I let the cat outside, I get it some food and water, and then I'm just sitting there forever, and the cat never comes back, right? And so I am freaking out. I'm like, what am I going to do? Because I've just lost this person's cat, and they're going to be so mad at me. And so I'm looking all around, trying to find the cat, can't find it anywhere. It's starting to get dark, and I still can't find the cat. And so I go and I get my parents, and I'm like, Mom, Dad, you got to help me find this cat. If I don't find this cat, I'm not going to get my money, and I'm never going to get my GameCube. It's going to be awful. Right? So my parents try to help me find the cat. No luck. Cat is gone. So the next day comes, and I have to tell my neighbor when she gets home from vacation, Debbie, I'm so sorry, but I lost your cat. Right? So awful. And I'm like fully expecting. I had predicted that she's going to be angry. I predicted that I'm not going to get paid for all the work I did all week and that this is going to be terrible. Right? And so I go and I tell my neighbor, Debbie, I lost your cat. And she was sad, right? Like, she's sad she lost her cat. But she still hands me an envelope full of money. 
right? And I'm so thrown off by this. I'm like, Debbie, why are you paying me? I'm literally trying to hand it back to her. And I'm like, why? Like, I don't deserve to be paid. I lost your cat. Why would you still pay me for this? But it, like, she was so, like, you did the work all week. You still deserve the money, even though the cat, like, ran off. Like, it's not your fault that the cat ran off. So she paid me, but I was so confused by this fact, I kept arguing it with her. So these predictions that we make about how things are going to happen, about what's going to happen next, they throw us off when we get them wrong. And in the story that we're going to be reading from the Bible tonight, we're going to see how Abraham, this guy that we've been learning about for the last several weeks, he has the same thing happen to him. He predicts something inaccurately, and it messes with his brain. But we're going to see how God uses that to teach Abraham about his character, about how God has teaching Abraham his character that Abraham does not know well. He's inaccurately learned the pattern. So we're going to take a look at Genesis chapter 18 and read it together. Here's what it says. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let the Lord not be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let the Lord not be angry, and I will speak again, again but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. All right, so Abraham is doubting God's character. He's looking at God and he is struggling to trust God. He's struggling to trust God in a variety of different ways. We've seen this happening, especially we we accentuated this the last uh, time we talked about this a couple weeks ago. 
right? We talked about how Abraham was doubting God's faithfulness and his power to fulfill his promises. So Abraham thought he had to take things into his own hands. But he learned his lesson with doing that. He learned that if he takes things into his own hands, that that's not going to end up well. So he's trying a new method. He's trying to question God. He's trying to reason with God because Abraham doesn't expect that the righteous should get punished with the wicked. So we're going to walk through this passage and see what we can learn from it. In verse 17 and 18, it says this. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. So there's a question we have to ask ourselves here. Right? Like, God is asking, should he tell Abraham? But is he actually trying to decide? Is he actually trying to figure out whether he should do it or not? Well, the answer is no, right? The Bible tells us that God is all-knowing. We use the word omniscient for this, that he knows everything, right? Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Right? Like, God's knowledge is so great that we couldn't even measure it. It's outside of our ability to comprehend how great his knowledge is. So God doesn't have to think when he makes decisions like we do. God is decisive. He's, he's resolute. He's unwavering when he's making decisions. So why would he ask that question of whether he should tell Abraham or not? Well, it's because he's helping Abraham to understand why he's telling him this information, why he's telling him that he's about to do something to Sodom and Gomorrah. He's about to punish their sinfulness. And what is that reason? Well, it's because he's teaching Abraham about himself through this. He's teaching Abraham about who he is, and he's highlighting two specific pieces of his character. In verse 18, right after what we just read, he says, to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, right? So he's highlighting his righteousness and justice in this passage. Those are parts of who God is. He's righteous and he's just, meaning that God is, is blameless. He does everything good. And he also, when he looks at people and he makes a judgment, he makes the perfect judgment, right? So he is righteous and he is just. So God wants Abraham to keep his ways, right? He wants him to follow his way of being righteous and just. But he also wants, he wants him to know that he is those things. God is righteous and just, but he also wants us to reproduce his righteousness and his justice. But the second reason why he's informing Abraham about all this is because he chose Abraham, right? We've read time and time again these passages where God is making these incredible promises to Abraham. He chose him to do something special. Specifically, in this passage, we see him highlighting that he shall be a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, right? These are promises that God has already given to Abraham. And here, he's highlighting them again, right? That all of the earth will be blessed by Abraham's family, right? So Abraham and his family will have this marked influence over the entire earth. And we know that that is through Jesus, that Jesus eventually comes through the line of Abraham, 
and he has this influence on the world by his life and his teaching and his death on the cross. But God wants Abraham to know his character so that all people will know God's character. God wants Abraham to know his character so that all people will know God's character. Right? If, if Abraham misunderstands who God is, then his influence will make everyone misunderstand who God is. But by accentuating who God is to Abraham, he's able to help to have everyone to recognize his righteousness and his justice. So as we get into this uh, questioning that Abraham does to God, Abraham's very timid in the way that he questions. He's very reserved and he keeps saying these phrases like, Behold, I have undertaken to, the speak, to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Or, oh, let the Lord not be angry, and I will speak. Right? He says these things over and over again throughout the passage. He's nervous about speaking to the Lord. He's nervous about questioning him. And of course he is, right? He's, he's talking to God, so of course he has some fear with that. But there's more to it than that, right? A couple weeks ago, we read this passage in uh, Genesis chapter 17, where Abraham finds out that God is fully aware of all of his sin. He's fully aware of all of his unfaithfulness. God is fully aware of every time that Abraham has taken things unto his own hands because he didn't trust God. And so Abraham knows he doesn't have any moral high ground. He knows that he's done wrong. Right? This is actually the same interaction with God. For us, a couple weeks has passed, but for Abraham, this is from the beginning of the conversation to now the end of the conversation. And so Abraham has just been called out by God and been told to do better. Abraham was told, walk before me and be blameless by God. And he was essentially, again, telling Abraham, I know your sin. Do better, right? Trust me, I got you, Abraham. So now, Abraham is questioning God. He's calling out God because he doesn't think that God's character is accurately revealed here. He's inaccurately predicted what God is going to do. But Abraham is feeling that feeling like when you call someone out when you've just done something wrong, right? He he feels this shame and he doesn't feel like he has the ability to say anything to call out God, right? Like, I can remember in middle school that uh, I was sitting in class and there was, I was, I had like a desk where there was two people sitting at it, right? And at my desk, there was somebody sitting next to me. We're taking like a test or something. And there's this kid who's like literally just staring at my test, copying down every answer. And I get so frustrated about it that like in the middle of this test, I was like, dude, stop copying all my answers. And I was so mad. And then somebody else from the class called out and said, but Johnny, you literally just copied my homework before class, right? So like I had no right to call this other kid out because I had done the same thing. I was in the wrong. And so that feeling of like I was wrong too is the same thing that Abraham is feeling. He was like, I know that I'm sinful. God literally just called out my sin and now I'm trying to question God. But he, he does it. He asks his questions nonetheless. He continues to ask the questions because he's doubting God's character and he needs to be reassured of who God is. So he asks these questions and he creates an interesting argument. He, you know, he, he starts off by making this claim here in verse 23. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Right, like, are you actually going to punish those who haven't done wrong along with those who have done wrong? 
God, would you actually do that? Would you punish the people who are righteous just so that you can punish those who are wicked? And so he goes through and he asks that questioning, like what if there's 50 righteous people in this city? What if there's 45, 40, 30, 20, 10, right? And he finally gets to this conclusion in verse 33. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Now, this seems really simple here, but it implies a lot. It's implying that Abraham has learned God's character here. Enough to be able to answer his question and be satisfied to why he's questioning God. He's realized that God will not punish the righteous. He's not going to punish the righteous alongside the wicked. But it also gives us this picture of like, not just that Abraham's returning home. He's not just returning to his place, going back physically to his house. But now he's returned to his place of recognizing that God is greater than him. That God's judgment, his righteousness, his goodness, his faithfulness are greater than his own. Abraham understands that God is greater than him and he's submitted to his place. So when he asks all of those questions, he didn't need to go from 50 to 45 all the way down to one. He stopped at 10 because he learned God's character at that point. Asking down to one would have been unnecessary because he knew what the answer was going to be. He knew that if there was anyone righteous in this city, that God would not punish the righteous alongside the wicked. God will not let the righteous fall because of the wicked. Now, almost every time that I've gone through this story, anytime I've read it with someone, the most interesting thing to me is that the first question that they ask me is, did Abraham change God's mind? Right, like this, we have this interaction here and Abraham comes into it and he sees that God is going to punish Sodom and Gomorrah and their wickedness. And at the end of it, God says, you know, if there's anyone righteous in the city, I will not, I'll spare the whole city for the righteous sake. So did Abraham change God's mind? Well, the question you need to ask here is how many righteous people were really in Sodom and Gomorrah? And the answer is zero. Right? The same answer is true in this room. How many righteous people are here? How many righteous people are in the United States? How many righteous people are in the entire world? The answer is zero. Right? Like all of us, all people are sinful. All people are messed up and make mistakes. And we can't be blameless because we've messed up. Right? We all make these mistakes. So every single person is unrighteous. But God makes us blameless because of Jesus' death on the cross. It's nothing that we did that earned it. It's nothing that we did that deserved that. But instead, that God sent his son to die for you on the cross. And that Jesus lived a perfect life where you could not, so that you could be saved from your sin. See, righteousness or being deserving of God's favor or being blameless before God is not earned. Righteousness is and always has been given by faith and out of God's goodness and faithfulness to you. So Abraham didn't change God's mind. Abraham just learned the character of God. So God used Abraham's doubts to teach him about who he is. So can we change God's mind? No. But 
if you think about it, you really don't want that to be true either. Like, think about when you get angry and all of the nasty, evil, awful things that you think about people. Imagine if it just took asking God to change his mind. All of the horrible things that would happen in God's name because of us, right? We are evil. We're sinful. We're full of awful, terrible thoughts and actions and desires. But God is not. God is good. He's just. He's good to all of us. And if we were able to change his mind, the world would be such a worse place. So instead of trying to change God's mind, we need God to change our minds. When we doubt him, we need, us, we need him to show his true character to us. So we need to take our doubts in God and our disagreements with what he says seriously and take time to wrestle with those doubts and figure them out instead of just building them up and bottling them up inside, ignoring them altogether, pretending like they don't exist. See, wrestling with our doubts is about learning who God is so that we can grow in our trust in him. See, we're not trying to convince God to do what is good for us. Instead, God knows what is good for us because he is good and he wants what's good for you. We have to learn to trust God's goodness when we're struggling to see it. So often, we just have a question we can't answer about God and we assume that God must be wrong because we don't have a clear answer to it instantly. So when we have these doubts about God, when we have these disagreements about what he says, we have to take those seriously and give time to them and wrestle through those doubts. Having doubts in your faith is not a bad thing. See, working through them can be really good for your faith. It helps you to build trust in God because you learn about his character and you see who he really is. It can strengthen your faith. But having doubts and doing nothing with them, having doubts and pretending like they're not there, that will kill your faith. That will absolutely crush it. Look at Abraham's example. He doubted God and he brought it before him. He brought his doubts to God and God revealed his character to him. He gave Abraham what he needed to be able to see who he truly is and it strengthened Abraham's trust in God. So my question for you tonight is what are you doubting about God? What are you wrestling with? And are you asking God about these doubts? Do you let God defend his character? Do you let God teach you about who he is? Or do you just assume that because you can't answer your doubts instantly, that God must be wrong? So my challenge for you is, in just a moment, we're going to take some time to discuss at your tables. And there's going to be a question about, what is it that you're doubting about God? And it would be really easy for you to just not answer that question, or say something really, like, fluffy, right? But I want to challenge you guys to... Be vulnerable with your table to share these doubts that you're having about God. To be able to speak into each other's lives and show each other what God's character is. To help us grow together in our faith and trust in God. So take some time together. You're going to discuss at your tables about your doubts and use this as an opportunity to be able to grow in your faith and in your trust in God. But let me pray for you first. Father, I thank you so much that you are a God that cares about us so deeply. So deeply that we can even come to you questioning who you are. 
and you don't meet us with anger or abandonment, but instead you give us what we need to be able to learn your character. So I pray that whether it's right now around these tables or in the days and weeks to come, that you would help to open our hearts to the ways that we are doubting you. To be able to wrestle with those doubts instead of just bottling them up inside. And that through that, you will reveal your character to us and help us to see your goodness. Help us to see your faithfulness. Help us to see your love for us. Teach us about who you are by us wrestling with our doubts. We need your help with this, and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.